"'Twas the night before Christmas, when all through the house, not a creature was stirring, until father came in drunk from the pub and leaked all over the Chesterfield. Tonight for you, we have a sordid tale of lust, love and loss, a festive treat to tide you over until brighter days of a new year. It all begins, well, you'll find out soon enough. The Fantastic Voyage of Grindel Wollaston, Christmas Special. Abigail flung the window of her first floor flat open and was greeted by a flurry of snow that came cascading down like confetti at a wedding or the rapacious bride's dress soon after. She lived and endured in what would be considered by many as the fashionable suburb of London, a heaving metropolis of yoga instructors and vegan diners where artists went to live and common sense went to die. It was no surprise, therefore, that her premises were furnished with the quirky yet wildly impractical extravagances that typified the area. A freestanding Victorian bath, supported by four ornate claws that gave the distinct impression of attacking her ankles if she ever lingered too close. A brass knocker whose incisive knocks could have sparked life into a corpse. And most significantly, a wrought iron staircase that tended to draw blood at even the slightest motion towards a stumble, leaving Abigail's lower legs forever adorned with its rust-coloured kisses. She wiped the icy crystals from the curve of her pinkish cheek and leant out of the opening to steal a candid view of the scene below. Excluding the few stragglers who were beginning to feel the effects of sun on bloodshot eyes, the street was in the first stages of wakening, like a beast stretching its wings after a long winter's slumber. All of the surfaces were covered in a light dusting of snow that acted on the dreary grey tones ubiquitous in the capital city in much the same manner as a lick of icing on an otherwise dull and frankly friendless fruitcake that gets wheeled in at the conclusion of an already unashamedly hedonistic feed. The more eager shopkeepers were preparing their shop fronts for the coming storm, as the distant electric groan of a milk cart making its rounds reminded them of the hour. With a deep breath, Abigail withdrew into the comfier confines of her apartment, and after settling into a threadbare armchair, she turned her mind towards that most gruelling of undertakings, Christmas dinner. For all the ambiguity they enjoyed in the joyless eleven months preceding Yuletide, turkeys have become rather reluctant champions of the festive period. In the US, there is a trend of brining the bird for 24 hours before cooking it, and so it would have been for Abigail, if she hadn't unburdened herself of her salt supply in a futile attempt to conquer the icy hell laid on for her by Jack Frost on the steps leading up to her front door. As a consequence, she had filled her fridge with enough bacon to sate a pack of hounds that she might wrap the wretched thing in and keep some of the juices at bay. This was especially important, since it had been recently confirmed to her that Parker, the young lawyer, was to ascend the stairs from his ground floor lodgings and grace her table with the youthful cynicism he flaunted with such wanton disregard for his company. It was no secret, to anyone who took any interest in such things, that he had a particular aversion to dry meat, and it was this morsel of information attained through the salacious operations of a close friend, that drove Abigail all the harder to avoid any unnecessary overexertion of the jaw. Joining them, for it would be unwise of a girl of such dimensions to dine with such an exuberant gentleman alone, would be Oscar Solomon, the gargantuan resident of number three, directly opposite Parker's door. Solomon demanded a healthy salary in one of the city's unhealthier sectors, enabling him to maintain his residence on the ground floor which facilitated a forgiving necessity for the well-being of his thighs, though he would inevitably have to negotiate the tax and climb up the unfortunate stairs for the midday commencement in proceedings. A task of such hardy resolve, it would have made fitting inspiration for any willing romanticist following in the footsteps of Homer or Aeschylus. 
Parker made no secret of his unblinking socialist ideals, and advanced the policy of clean living and modesty that had become such an attractive pursuit for the forward-thinking candidates of his generation. On the opposite side of what would prove to be wholly unbalanced scales, Solomon and his wobbling hulk of a lifestyle fell firmly in the conservative side of things, and conducted his affairs as such. Abigail had invited the two professionals without a second thought, for they represented a reputable stratum of society, which would otherwise be sorely missed in her final prospective guest. The fourth place. For three diners make such an ugly table, don't you think? It is always best to seat oneself opposite an individual who may keep up with you both in conversation and in drinks. If bridges to be on the cards, it's also a hindrance that they cannot recognise the strained facial spasms that denote a swing towards spades and not diamonds. Anyway, the fourth place was set for the removed and so far absent from our tale Edwina Parry, who completed both the dinner table roster as well as the building's residential quota. She fell well wide of the two categories described for her unlikely companions in her financially driven apathy for anything outside her familiarity or standing. With a great mass of matted greying hair and an unattractive scorn, she was plain in every aspect of her character and only disassociated herself from the company further by inhabiting those inadequate and loathsome rooms that the landlord reserved for the fallen few who tread the line of destitution with a gay abandon that might otherwise have been mistaken as the markings of Bohemia. It was no coincidence that Edwina was in fact an artist, though visitors to her squalid rooms would be hard-pressed to notice, since she schooled in conceptual art, and didn't allow brush to meet canvas until it had been urinated on and set on fire first. She was modest, eccentric, and self-pitying in equal measure, and Oscar Solomon was in love with her. A fact that he unashamedly flaunted in his piggy eyes every time she began the steady ascent to her rooms above. Though a thoroughly despicable man in many other respects, his tender heart, which grew weaker with every beat, pumped all the harder when she roved into view. The sound of the front door grinding shut would cause no little rejoicing as he rushed to peep from the crack in his door in the hope of a glimpse of the miserable object of his desire. For Edwina, who was for the most part unaware of his unscrupulous manifestation of affection, the lobby was nothing more than a functional entrance, heavy with the atmosphere of dust and dead flies, while for Oscar, it represented a slender hope to an unattainable dream. As his infatuation grew, so did his confidence. But for each pound he mercilessly added to his fleshy virtues, so grew her revulsion, until she could no longer bear to be in his presence as he clumsily faltered underneath his greasy lust. Good morning, Miss Parry, he would splutter, as she swept by, giving a short bow and raising his hat. Good morning, how are you? She would reply. Unless it wasn't morning, and then she would say something more appropriate, like It's cold out there. Or It's cold in here. Or if she was feeling particularly benevolent that day. I forgot my umbrella. In any case, she remained polite in resolution, both in deference to his position and in fear of immoral retribution. For as easily as attraction can lead a man down one path, intention can swing just as quickly the other way, sliding from reverie to tragedy in but a few short steps. As it happened, a few short steps were all that separated Abigail from her first guest, who had just received a second alarm from his phone, camera, clock, music player. Of course, it was Christmas Day. Christmas Day indeed, and the customary ripple of bells and drunkards had passed fairly plainly, setting the scene nicely for an all-consuming feast. Abigail attended to her vegetables with the devotion and attention of a mother preparing her children for school except that she had sliced them up and sentenced them to a short but pleasant dip in boiling water. 
She had been up since an early hour, and it was paying dividends as the meal was advancing at a slow but satisfactory rate. The turkey was bunged in the oven, entombed in a sarcophagus of smoked pig, while a myriad of pots and pans bubbled and steamed away through the cooking processes. Her menu followed the traditional progression through ever stodgier courses, only to climax, quite staggeringly, at the gut-defying glory of her Christmas pudding that had been steeping in a lethal mix of booze for weeks. She pulled her hair from the net she had been wearing and let it flow in locks down her shoulders. Her eyes shone brightly from the satisfaction of expectancy, while her cheeks were flushed in the steamy heat of the room. The first knock on the door came from Parker. For those of you not paying attention, he's the young lawyer from downstairs who placed punctuality above all things. In accordance to form, he had bought a bottle of red wine, which held more awards and distinctions than anyone else sitting at the table, and which he would quaff before all other offerings. She ushered him to the table after an awkward exchange of Christmas cheer. It's so nice of you to come. It's a terrible thing to spend Christmas alone, she cried, as she dabbed a bead of sweat from her open brow. He prowled into the room, inspecting every quarter and screwing his face and tutting at every detail that didn't meet his lofty expectations. Not a lot of room, is there? How on earth do you expect to cater to so more people than this? He began in a thin and reedy voice, before checking himself and pursuing a less obstructive topic. It's a queer thing, is it not? To have lived here all this time and not spoken? Why? The first contact was that invite pushed so unceremoniously under my door. What is it you do? He asked. She hesitated for a moment as she searched her brain for an appropriate response. I work in... marketing, she lied. Ah, in bed with the devil. But then I can't talk, I'm a lawyer. Perhaps we can lament the passing of our souls together, he said, closing with a dry laugh that might have sounded less out of place in a crypt. She smiled the knowing smile of the hostess and politely let him continue. Of course, at this time of year, I would usually retreat to my chalet in the Alps. But Laura is such an unforgiving mistress, and I am in the middle of such a delicate case at the moment that has taken up a lot of my time. Abigail was not sure if she cared much for her first visitor. With his air of arrogance and dismissive tone, he came across as a highly disagreeable figure. However, before he was able to venture further into the finer detail of his financial and cultural prosperity, he was cut short by another report on the door. With as much grace as she could muster on such short notice, Abigail went to the door and was greeted by the furtive mousy features of Edwina Parry, who gave the air a suspicious sniff before shuffling across the threshold and surrendering to social etiquette by accepting Parker's cold and lifeless peck on the cheek. It could have been no more than a minute, and there were enough timers and clocks counting down to be sure before she was once again called to the door by a pudgy-sounding knock. As the door swung out, the revolting Solomon was revealed, inch by a disgusting inch, of his hulking figure. And upon sighting Edwina, his sagging features creased into an insurient leer, only to be surpassed by the expression he donned on encountering the dinner table. He squeezed through the opening, taking a few flakes of plaster off as he did so, and waddled over to his two neighbours, helping himself to a glass of fizz and a presumptuous kiss on the cheek over both his host and his beloved on the way. Now the gathering was complete, the main event could be unfurled from all quarters, and so it was they took their places at the table and began to indulge themselves in a fashion only acceptable at Christmas, or during the quieter periods of a test match. There were exquisite appetisers to accompany the glugs of cocktails, salmon beetroot bellinis and little quiches, whose unremarkable billing was vindicated through their sumptuous creaminess. 
Solomon gobbled enough of these down to last him through winter and throw down the gauntlet to anyone who might challenge his tremendous cravings. To follow this, the first course featured avocado mousse, smoked salmon and a smattering of other ingredients that had attained extravagant statuses in the 80s. A solid, if dry effort on the main course took some of the momentum from the occasion and an unsurprisingly unwelcome pudding was all that separated them from instant coffee and after-dinner mince. The kinetics of fat men are seldom understood. Yet with all the food he'd eaten, in combination with the benefit of a stiflingly warm room, it was no surprise that Solomon was the first to fall into a slumber. Funny taste, that turkey, remarked Edwina, taking advantage of her sleeping adversary to pipe up for the first time. Must have been the homemade bread sauce. I shouldn't wonder, replied Abigail, playing nervously with the edge of the tablecloth as she watched Edwina droop in her seat. Solomon's reverberating snores filled the room in much the same fashion as a pneumatic drill, accompanying a drain, and were only interrupted when there was a knock on the door. But who could it be? Two remaining pairs of eyes turned to face the intrusion, and Abigail rose from the table to find out who was behind it. She let her hand hover over the handle for a tense moment, before plunging it down and swinging the door open to reveal a woman with blonde hair, a suit, and a briefcase. Who are you? she ordered curtly. Abigail stood with her mouth hanging slightly agape and tried to conjure some kind of appropriate answer. Happy Christmas. Who are you? She stammered. Abigail Harissa, this is my flat. What are you doing here? There must be some mistake, she whispered, before adding, Please, come in and we'll sort this thing out. There's no mistake. Now get out of my flat. Or do I have to call the police? Repeated the strange woman. Parker, who in accordance with his diminutive stature, had not quite eaten so greedily as his fellow diners, sat quietly for some time before surrendering to Morpheus and drifting off. What's going on here? Who are all these people? Why are they sleeping? said the woman, getting increasingly vexed. Is it okay if I just put some newspaper down? I, I don't want to ruin the carpet, said Abigail, testing the weight of a porcelain statue of a ballet dancer in her hand and creeping round behind the newcomer. What are you talking about? I've told you. Oh! There was a thud as Leotard met Skull, and the real Abigail dropped to the floor like a sack of potatoes. Abigail looked down at her and tutted at the dribble of blood that had splattered over the corner of the rug. By the time she had finished cutting them up and preparing their bodies for storage, the Queen's speech had been and gone, and the afternoon film was well underway. Cutting the throats was always her favourite bit. No matter what anyone else said, it was fun. She had practised on her own slender neck in the mirror once or twice, but it was really a treat to get such fine and understanding candidates to try it out on. She removed her overalls, slung them into the washing bin and vigorously scrubbed at her hands until there was no evidence of blood left on them. She stuck her head out of the window one last time to get a breath of fresh air before slamming it shut. Across the road, she could see into a flat where a couple were having their first Christmas together. They were clinking their glasses and laughing merrily, spurring each other on with another outburst of terror-inspiring guffaws. She slid the curtain shut and cleared away the dishes. 